to the table, everybody. Thank you. Joining us today as our special guest is Dr. Melissa Reeves, nationally certified licensed school psychologist, licensed clinical mental health counselor, past president of the National Association of School Psychologists, author, former special educator, and advisor and speaker for Safe and Sound Schools. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Rounding out the table today is my co-founding partner and mission sister, Alyssa Parker. She is also director of outreach for us at Safe and Sound Schools. And Dr. CJ Huff, educator and former superintendent of the Joplin, Missouri Schools, and also speaker and advisor to Safe and Sound Schools. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. So on the table today, care for the caregiver, self-care strategies for students, staff, parents, and leaders. Sounds good. Sounds like something we all need right about now. Um, And we're just so glad to have you, Melissa. When we're not in the middle of a pandemic, we usually get to see Melissa quite a bit on the road, in the field, and working on various projects with Safe and Sound. So it's good to see you here at least virtually, Melissa. I think we all have Zoom mush, Zoom brain mush, as I like to say. Seriously. <laughs> social interaction. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it however we can get it. Exactly. So much of the support that we've been providing our schools and professional communities since March has been around taking care of students and families, obviously. And I'm sure it's going to continue to be the center of our work as as we work through this crisis. Um, But let's start the conversation here. What does it look like to you, Melissa? How have you seen school leaders and staff rallying around our, our most important constituents, our students? And what kind of common challenges do you see kind of across the board with caring for students in this weird remote way that we're all stuck working now? Um, first of all, I mean, educators were our heroes prior to this, but I would say even exponentially, they are our heroes more than now. Because what I have just seen is their dedication, their creativeness, their they're so passionate and just the flexibility that we're all having to have in this world without having any time to plan for this. I mean, the analogy I use is, you know, they're pretty much having to build the plane while they're flying it. And it is amazing some of the planes that have been built. But I think, you know, we're planners, you know, as educators, we're planners, and we just didn't have time for that. So you were kind of thrown into it, and it's, you know, do the best you can. I think one of the challenges that we're really having in caring for students is, is quite honestly, it's many still don't have a lot of consistent accessibility to technology. So, you know, even if the school districts are able to provide the laptops or the tablets or the hotspots, Um, It doesn't always mean that the location they're in, that they reliably work, or quite honestly, for some of those families that don't have those kinds of privileges to begin with, they're not even familiar or comfortable with how to operate it. So, you know, I think that's definitely been, you know, one of the challenges. And also just getting students to connect. And when they don't connect, it's hard as educators to to follow up with them and make sure that they're doing okay or to help guide the parents. So, you know, we're having to be pretty creative, um, you know, with ways to try to, you know, check in on those that are not able to either do the remote learning or um, are not logging into that. I think one of the other challenges is for us as parents, we learned very differently. So, you know, even when parents are trying to help their kids, the kids are like, we don't do it that way. What are you talking about? And so it leads to sometimes conflict. 
And I think that's one of the challenges is just the way we learn things now is somewhat different. different. And I think too, for educators, um, you know, they're juggling their own families and their own kids at home while they're also trying to teach. And I know I was talking with, you know, one of my friends who's a teacher and she's like, I have my own three kids that have to be online at three different times. And, you know, we don't even have that many devices, but then I'm supposed to be online teaching and it's tiring and it's exhausting, but it's also amazing at what they are doing um, within these times. So, um, yeah, so lots of challenges, but there's also some positives, which I know we'll highlight later. I know tons. That's amazing. So CJ, you have your own experience with meeting the needs of students through crisis. Can you share a little bit about you know, from the school leader perspective, what this might look like uh, as a leader for, for many of your peers out there with difficult decisions to make, a lot of the, the struggles that Melissa just highlighted. Yeah, I think, I think what's you know, unique about this, this particular situation is, um, um, you know, the, the resources that we had coming in following the Joplin tornado were, were just amazing. You know, the volunteers, the outside resources that were coming in, and which also created some challenges uh, from, a, from a management of those resources standpoint. But what I think you have uh, today and, and in conversations I've had with school leaders, I mean, you've got this, this issue of, of closure uh, for, for students, um, especially those seniors that, and, and kids that are transitioning from one building to the next, like my daughter who's moving from elementary school to middle school and not getting those opportunities for closure. Um, and then, and the same is true for the adults too. I mean, the end of the school year, you know, a lot of those, those really, you know, those, those relationships are so important and it works both ways. And so I think, I think that's one of the things that I've seen, been really proud of and not surprised by the work of school leaders and educators alike on, on, on figuring out how to uh, provide clo that closure and, and hope for the future for for these for these kids uh, um, uh, that that are transitioning in particular. So so that's one thing. Uh, the other, you know, are all the challenges that come with with managing, you know, closing out a school year uh, and trying to prepare for for a new school year with so much uncertainty uh, and what that and what that looks like. Uh, going forward in some school districts, you know, considering summer school and, and what, you know, how, how, what's that going to look like and, and how do we, how do we manage that? And it's all, it's also important because I think one of the things that, that schools um, realize more now than ever and in every recovery effort I've ever been a part of uh, since our disaster is that, um, that the schools are the hub of the community and, and when, when children aren't being taken care of and they're not getting their education or not getting their meals, uh, you know, the, the health needs aren't being met, basic needs aren't being met, so much of which are provided by schools anyway, um, that, um, that it makes it hard for, for those folks, the adults uh, who need to be working or, or looking for jobs or, or, or uh, frontline workers, uh, healthcare workers and others that are responsible for the response uh, to this uh, to this crisis, um, it, it makes it hard. So those, those school leaders have a lot, you know, a lot of things to think about, and a lot of responsibility as it relates to this recovery and, and, and serving as that hub of, of hope and inspiration for their communities. Absolutely, and I mean, kids first, right? You know, if it we have to, it all starts with the kids and making sure their needs are met, um, and it's kind of dominoes from there. Alyssa, I'm going to shift the conversation with you to, to in your direction. Um, as your family's been in stay home in the Northwest <laughs> for longer than most of us, um, for sure. And, and I watched your family 
like a lot of others that would follow just, just instantly, you know, kids first, like I just said, um, shift your focus to helping the kids adjust, um, making them feel safe, making sure that uh, they were adjusting to this new normal, but it, it's been a lot longer than we expected. And so it really, it really does. I don't care how well adjusted you are. It starts to take a toll on, on you. And, and as a parent, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, it, it does. And the, the strange thing is, you know, having gone through what we've gone through in the past, dealing with trauma, you know, you learn that self-care is, is incredibly important. But during this time when we're all together, all the little tricks I used to do to self-care are difficult because they're on top of me constantly. And so I go for lots of walks and whatnot, but yet I, I'm, I guess I'm looking for more ideas on ways I can self-care in a mass group that, you know, I can't really get away with. And the other issue that I have is when I do find those moments, I feel kind of bad. I feel a little bit of guilt. Like, why is it that I just want to be away from my kids? You know, <laughs> there's just this interesting, you know, push and pull as far as like emotionally for me, you know, I, I want to self-care, but yet I feel bad that I want to be away from my family when I probably should I, <laughs> you know, so I'm just curious if you could speak to some good suggestions for self-care during this really unique time. Um, you bring me back to uh, an interesting uh, conversation that I had with a neighbor of mine, actually back when I had my first child, you know, 20, almost, you know, 21 years ago, and he was really colicky. And I, you know, when I remember everyone saying that, you know, parenthood is supposed to be blissful and it's wonderful. And I just remember looking at him one night going, I just want to give him away. I want to put him back. I want to, there's nothing fun about this. And I confided that in my neighbor and she looked at me and she goes, I would be worried about you if you weren't having those thoughts because we've all been there. And I'm like, really? It means I'm not like this horrible mother. And she's like, no, that is totally normal. And I just remember how validating that was of uh, that, you know, and I think that's what a lot of parents are going through right now is it is totally normal to be saying, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I need to get away from my kids. They're driving me crazy, you know? Uh, and I think the important piece is to validate the fact that that is a normal, typical reaction and it's okay to feel that way. So what I like to say is put, you know, guilty on a piece of paper and rip it up or cut it up with a pair of scissors. That's very cathartic in and of itself, but it's okay. And it's normal. To, you know, we, we need to normalize that. Um, I think what's really important though, is that it, it is to find ways to find time for yourself. Rather that's you're telling the kids, you know, you're putting them on a 30 minute video. It's okay. As long as it's not excessive to say, mom needs a little time here. I'm going to go ahead and put on a fun video or let you play some video games for 30 minutes. Totally. Okay. Um, I have heard of like neighborhoods where moms are coming out at like Tuesdays at a one in the afternoon and the kids are doing sidewalk talk in the driveway. So they're social distancing but it allows the moms, you know, to, to get some conversations. Um, and I think the importance of that is, you know, going for a walk and, you know, having the older sibling babysit or the spouse or the other significant other take care of them. What you're actually doing is modeling self-care. And those are actually great strategies that your children can take forward with them is that honestly, healthy relationships are the fact that you love being together 
but it is also okay to, to need and want your own time. Um, and it's so interesting because a, a, I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day, and she was actually listening to a presentation that was being done by two educational consultants. And so I wish I could take credit for this, but I need to give them credit. Their names are Robert Evans and Michael Thompson. And she said they were really presenting COVID in a really interesting way, that this isn't a problem because problems have solutions. And so, and we're so used to problem solving. What this is, is that this is a dilemma. Um, and with dilemmas, what makes them so uncomfortable is because we're in this constant state of fluctuation. Um, so we can't so much manage the situation as much as we're constantly having to respond and make adjustments and there's just not a lot of predictability. So what that does is it increases our exhaustion and our frustration and our anxiety levels. But the bottom line is that's why self-care is even more important now than it's ever been before because what we're really in is we're having to weigh a lot of pros and cons. You know, there's no playbook for any of this. Um, and so I think, you know, their analogy of us being in a dilemma is, you know, parents having to make some of these decisions, but that self-care is important. I think the other piece what's important for parents is to grieve the loss and to help their children grieve the loss of what life used to be like and what the new norm may look like. And really to kind of put that into the context of it's a grieving process. Um, and with that, you're gonna have lots of emotions from being happy that you have all this time together to pulling your hair out and wanting space, to being angry about the situation, to wanting to blame others. And then some days you just kind of accept it and go, it's a good day. But to realize you know, that you have the ebbs and flows. And I think too, you know, as parents, as part of the self-care is to realize you're not gonna be perfect and it's okay not to be perfect. So if you have a day where you're a little more short-tempered or maybe you know you scream at your child when you didn't mean to, take a few deep breaths, get a little bit of space, and then go back and say, I'm sorry. You know what? I, I shouldn't have handled it that way. I apologize. What do you think would have been a better way for mom or dad to handle this? Let them help you problem solve because then what you're also doing for your children is you are modeling them how to say sorry how to identify emotions, and how to problem solve. And all of those are skills that are super important in life. So, Wow, well said. So speaking of modeling, um, I think we look to our teachers a lot for modeling. Um, they do a lot of teaching through modeling. And uh, as a teacher, I spoke a lot about self-care to my students, to my families. But our teachers are really sandwiched, you know, in the middle of this situation. Like you said, a lot of them are parents as well. They've got their, their online teaching duties now. They're building the plane while they're flying it, trying to figure it all out. And the cycle of teaching and evaluating and then planning is kind of strange in this new asynchronous kind of learning setting that a lot of our K-12 teachers are not really used to. So I'm hearing from a lot of teachers about this, the day is like never ending. They get up at dawn and they're, you know, planning into the wee hours of the morning because of just of this, this kind of the way that, that learning is right now um, for the time being. So what would you say to our teachers? Because a lot of them are, you know, are really feeling kind of burnt out at this time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I think it is really important to continue to establish work hours, even though I know it's hard when your work yeah. is now, you know, just a couple feet away. But I think it's really important to establish work hours. It is very important to establish family time. And if you need to come back, and I can, you know, also speak for myself, the barrage of emails that is coming in these days could literally take me eight hours a day to, to respond to. You just have to set some limits around that. And, and whereas before, I know some school districts had guidelines around, you know, teachers will respond within 24 to 48 hours. Well, when all, when the eight hours of the day, they're teaching, they're managing their families, you know, you may need to relax some of those expectations a little bit because otherwise they are going to be up until one or two in the morning. You know, also from parents to realize, you know, that, that, you know, your child's teacher's doing the best they can to juggle all of this. So it may be a little bit longer to hear a response than what you've had in the past. Um, you know, and what I have found too is that, you know, not only setting those limits and those boundaries is really important, but also what I've discovered with some have found it effective is that they've actually established some office hours, kind of like we do with the universities. Yeah. To some extent. But here's my teaching hours. Here's my office hours. Um, I'm going to be accessible during these times, but you really do hold to those office hours because otherwise what happens is you find yourself responding at all hours of the day. And, and then we have our teachers, you know, exhausted. Um, and I'm also excited too about seeing some businesses because when we talk about our parents too, we're also juggling a lot. There also are some businesses now that are starting to help their employees establish boundaries around work hours and responding to email. Um, and so I think that helps. So that kind of goes back to, you know, CJ's role as being an educational leader. How can we help provide some of these boundaries and structure and give permission that it's okay to have them? I think that's so important. And CJ, you have talked in the past too about the importance of modeling that as a leader. Um, I'd love for you to speak a little bit about that and then and talk too a little bit about leader care and um, maybe a little bit about of the sort of Superman, Superwoman syndrome that unfortunately a lot of our leaders fall prey to when they're managing through a crisis in their community. Yeah, and I see we have a, a question in the um, question section too, and it's kind of related to this, um, you know, and, and I'm going to say here, you know, do as I say, not as I did. Um, <laughs> I certainly did a good job with this uh, from, from a leader's, leader care standpoint, but, but what I tell school leaders today from, from my lessons learned and watching, um, you know, what, what school leaders and other crises um, have done since, since my experience you know, there is this feeling that that um, that you have to be everything to everybody. You know, and just like just like the teachers want to help kids in the classroom, you have school leaders want to do everything they can to support everybody that 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 works for them. Certainly, focus on the kids and the communities they serve. And a lot of pressures come from a lot of different directions. But but you know that Superman or Superwoman syndrome that you talk about is very real. And so you run on adrenaline. Um, you run on uh, no sleep. Uh, you run on uh, poor, poor nutrition. Um, if you're not careful, it can, it can eat you alive. And, and, and the challenge with that is, and if you're a, you're a great leader and you hire really good people and you're modeling that kind of behavior, um, what are the people around you going to do? And what, what, how are they going to role model uh, those behaviors uh, of self-care for, for the people that they're responsible for? So it really does start at the top. So I just you know, I think if, if nothing else during this time, I think it's important for, for leaders, whether you're a building principal or a, a school superintendent, 
uh, to remember that that not only should you be caring for yourself, but you need to be open about how you're doing that, so people know that it's okay. You know, give give yourself permission to do that, and give that, which in turn gives the people that work for you uh, permission to take care of themselves too. Because this is a long haul. Uh, it's it's hard work. It's uh, taxing work. It's mentally and physically exhausting. If you're not exercising, if you're not eating right, if you're not taking care of your spiritual needs. Uh, family needs, all those, all those pieces. Um, you're really, really not only doing yourself a disservice, but you're doing a disservice to the people that you lead because you're modeling some very poor, um, poor behavior. So stop sending those emails at 2 a.m. Stop reading your text messages and sending them text messages early in the morning. Um, you know, um, you know. Sometimes, you know, you just have to, you just have to take a step back and and um, and and do the right thing for yourself and understand that when you do that. You're showing some really strong leadership, and, and you're showing uh, uh, by modeling that those types of behaviors, it's going to sustain this effort over the long haul. It's a long well, haul, yeah. I was going to share this question. It actually, there's some interesting points that that um, that they make here. Um, he or she says, I'm a single parent and I feel like there just aren't enough hours in the day to do my schoolwork and watch after my kids. And then they go in to describe kind of this, you know, back and forth with their administrators and just feeling like they're just not doing enough and that they're asking a lot of, you know, the parents in the community and, um, she feels like she's failing as far as what their expectations are. And at the end, um, they say, I'm growing tired of the toxic, um, toxicity. What could I do? Well, fr from a school leader perspective, you know, I think, I think that, you know, that's, uh, you know, that, that might be a conversation she has to have, have personally with that principal, just to let them know what, what's going on for them. I mean, there's a lot, a lot happening. And I think that awareness is important. Uh, but it's also, I think, for, for this person to, to come from the perspective that that that, that principal is probably experiencing a lot of uh, uh, struggles as well. I mean, we're all in the same boat together, and um, and uh, you know, the, and, and it depends on the state. And I, you know, I use the state of Missouri as an example where I'm at. And my kids are going to school in Missouri schools. You know, they've, they've uh, let up on, you know, of course, the testing requirements and things like that this this year. But, but, you know, I heard somebody say, and I can't remember if it was last week or a week before, but, uh, you know, th this is really, at this, this point in time, it's about taking care of kids and people and maintaining those relationships and making sure everybody's okay. Um, you know, we're going to get our kids caught back up. It's not an ideal situation, but uh, we're going to get our caught, kids caught back up academically. Um, we're going to do what we have to do when, when things get settled down back to normal. And, you know, my message to, to school leaders out there is, is chill a little bit on the on the academic uh, side of things and, and focus in on the relationships and that'll pay huge dividends um, on on the back side of this things both both for your your staff that you're trying to support as well as the students that you're uh, that you're trying to teach. Yeah, I think that that focus on the relationships. Do you want to speak a little bit more to that, Melissa? How you know that's. Like CJ said, we we are gonna catch our kids up. Um, you know, everybody everybody's gonna be behind. Um, but but this is a unique opportunity to to really invest in the social emotional wellness of our children, of our staff, of our families, our communities. Yeah, and that's where I, I wish when all of this started. You know, instead of using the term social distancing, they would have used the term physical distancing because. Yeah. 
we need to physically distance, but we don't need to socially distance because we still need those human connections. And I think it's one of the things that many of us that go into education are somewhat type A personalities. We are overachievers. We want to do it all. We want to be the best at everything. We want to do the best for our kids and ourselves. And I think it goes back to, you know, really kind of looking at what is absolutely critical that I have to teach for the foundational skills, the rest of that extra stuff, let it go. So focus on the foundational skills. So there's time to address the, the mental health piece and to stay socially connected and not be driving our students, our parents and ourselves, you know, crazy with expecting too much. So I think it, you know, it kind of goes back to that, you know, work smarter, not harder. Um, but at the same time, we have to give ourselves flexibility that it's, we're not going to be able to do everything that we could do in the classroom. So let's whittle it down to the fundamentals they really need to have and the rest of it, it's okay. Because like, you know, CJ mentioned, we're, we're all going to be behind. We eventually will catch them up. Um, and, you know, educators and administrators, we're going to have to make some adjustments next academic year um, because, you know, we're not able to do as much, but the importance is not only the academics, but it is also the mental health of all of us. You can't learn if you don't have mental health, is, is what we like to say in the mental health world. So yeah, so we've got to also you know, address that and, and not expect too much. Right. I mean, these are times when we can really be shoring up the foundation, really you know, investing, like I said, in, in relationships and quality time. And as a teacher, I would remind folks that there's learning and life experience, you know, the the cooking in the kitchen, the doing chores, the focus on life skills. I mean, who knew that my kids can do laundry and, and cook meals? I, you know, we just, we were so busy before. Um, and now with, with a little bit of extra time, uh, they've, they've actually learned some new skills during, during this period. How about your kids, Alyssa? Yeah. Uh, my kids are a lot more independent. Um, they kind of have to be because I do work from home. And so that is something we definitely have had to learn what we can and cannot do on our own and um, answering their own questions instead of having to ask me a lot of questions. I'm on Zoom quite a bit these days. But there was another question that I did want to bring up. Um, I thought it brought up a really excellent point. And it says, I'm one of those teachers that you talked about working from dawn until late into the night. I'm taking time to exercise and eat right, but I'm noticing that I'm really anxious all the time for no reason. I just can't seem to calm down and my mind is constantly spinning. What would you say, Dr. Reeves, to that? Um, first of all, is it you? Did you write that? Right? <laughs> I could write that. <laughs> you know, give yourself a little breathing room because again, that is a very common reaction um, for many of us that are that are in this boat. Um, I would say, you know, I, I think that actually goes back to some of the self-care is finding an activity that you really enjoy to do. Rather, it is taking time for yourself and going for a walk, whether it's reading a book, whether it's meditation, whether it's yoga, whether it's mindfulness. Because what happens with us educators, especially the type A overachievers, is we say we're, we're taking time away from the job, but the brain doesn't stop. And so part of getting the brain to stop is finding those alternative activities where we're not thinking about work, we're not thinking about the big picture. Um, and it's also being um, careful with how much we're exposing ourselves to the news because what I also find is watching too much of that also increases anxieties. 
So as I say, I watch a little bit enough to know what I need to know. And then honestly, I shut it off and I go do some of those other activities, you know, um, that I listed. So really trying to get your brain off it um, can help too with some of those other alternative activities and reaching out to friends. Um, I know a lot of people that, you know, again, if you have access to technology, they're having virtual happy hours, um, you know, and they're doing what we're doing here is socially connecting which can also help with some of that anxiety and sharing ideas is to, you know, what helps, you know, what are some other ideas that other people are using? So again, that social connectedness piece is real important. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Oh, I was going to squeeze in one more question. Sorry, Michelle, do you have a quick comment? Go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to squeeze this last one in here. We have this um, question. It says many family vacations have been postponed because of COVID-19. What suggestions about replacing family vacations with alternative plans so educators are rejuvenated and ready for the new school year? Um, yeah, one of the things we're doing is, you know, what do you have locally that is available? We've actually discovered some trails by our house that we've been living here for years that we've never walked on. Um, I, I know other families that if you have tents and stuff, they're literally camping out in their backyard. Um, there's days where we've just gone for road trips to get ice cream somewhere or, you know, um, what, what is an outdoor area where you could socially distance? So I think, you know, part of it is, yeah, we're having to be creative, but taking a look at, you know, what do you have locally of some things that we can do that honestly, none of us ever thought about. Like I live in the Charlotte area. I had no idea we had this many cool things around here or within a couple hours of the mountains, because when we wanted to do a family vacation, it was always, well, we need to go away. So I think, you know, just exploring what you have close by can be just as fun. And as I say, the kids look to the adults for how scary this is, how depressing this is, how happy this is, how exciting this is. So what we model as adults has a lot to do with the emotional state of our children. So if we can find joy in those little things, the kids are gonna find joy in those little things. And a lot of it is how we approach it. Um, Excellent. Okay, so before we wrap up, can you give, what is your, what's your go-to self-care recommendation? Melissa, you've given us a lot in this, this whole conversation, but what's kind of your number one um, go-to? And we all have our, our, our different ones, but. Yes, my go-to is outside. And I'm kind of like Alyssa said, I feel like I spend my entire life on Zoom and looking at a computer screen yeah. anymore. So it's going outside, just getting some fresh air. I'm gonna second that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out after this. <laughs> well, I just want to thank everybody for joining us again today. Um, thank you, Melissa, for taking time. It seems like we're busier than ever now in this new Zoom world, and we just so appreciate it. And obviously, with the number of participants we had today, many people appreciated your, your taking some time with us today. So thanks, um, thanks everyone. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna ask you to keep an eye out for an invite to next Tuesday uh, for Tuesdays at the Table with our special guest, Nick Chernoff of Safer Schools Together to discuss digital safety, keeping students and families in today's, keeping students and, and families safe rather in today's online environment. So thanks everybody. Let's go get outside. Take good care. Thanks everyone, take care. For more information about the Sound Off and Safe and Sound Schools, visit safeandsoundschools.org.